Last week on Easter Sunday, we reflected on the witness of Mary the Magdalene to the resurrection. And we saw how a weeping woman was called by the Lord Jesus to be the first witness to his resurrection as the Apostola Apostolorum. And what an unexpected witness the Lord called so very personally, Mariam, to this task. A woman, probably with a history of mental illness, and a woman who uncomprehendingly wandered around in the dark. And yet through the Apostles John's Gospel, her witness still resounds through history, nearly 2,000 years later. Now today we are a week later, and also in John's Gospel we are a week later. And there now appears another unlikely witness, the doubting witness to the resurrection. Because the absentee Thomas, who in his turn had continued to wander around in the darkness for another week, now appears. And on his story we will meditate this morning, and through it we will again meet with our risen Saviour. Now, when we were reading this story of Thomas, what did you think about Thomas? What did you say to yourself about him? Were you sorry for him that he wasn't there another week of darkness and now gone down into history as the doubting Thomas? Or were you upset with him? Why wasn't he there? How could he demand such a thing? Or maybe were you in sympathy with him? Saying to yourself, well, in these circumstances, that could have been me. I can't really blame the guy. Or were you jealous of him? He got his doubts addressed by the Lord himself. Visible evidence. Then it's not difficult. But what about me? And when we were reading this story, why did you think it's in the Bible? To make you feel better? I am not a doubter. Or, at least, I'm not the only doubter. Or to learn something? Why not to doubt? Or maybe that even the apostles doubted. To be warned against doubting, or maybe against being hard on doubters, because the Lord wasn't either. Or to be encouraged. Even a doubter was reached for by Jesus. And if we start thinking about the question, why is this story in the Bible, we may also want to think about the question, who, about whom is the story? Is it about Thomas? Or is it, in contrast, about the other disciples? Or is it about Jesus? Or, towards the end of our text, is it about the people coming later? You see, once you start meditating 
on the text you read. It may be such a little story, but so many questions. Also for a sermon. Now, during the evening Zoom meeting last Sunday, the young gentleman, Prinslow, were asking the elders and the preachers, how do you make a sermon? Well, the start of that process is not really very different from when all of us read the Bible story and ask ourselves, what is the message for us today? Now, when the Bible tells you a story, it's often helpful to ask yourself three questions. It doesn't always work, but it's a good way of trying to get to the meaning of the story for you and me And the three questions are, what, so what, now what? What? What does the story actually say? And then you study the context and the historical background and maybe difficulties in the language. And you don't have to be a theologian, because often the footnotes in your study Bible already go a long way. And often it turns out that there is much more in the story than you thought at first glance. But then there is the second question, so what? What are the implications of the story? What does the story, as we now understand it, tell us about the world, about ourselves, and above all, about God? And then there is the question, now what? What consequences do I now draw for my own life from what I just learned? None. Do I sit here, wait for the sermon to be finished, one year in, the other out? Or do I reflect upon it and then conclude, well, there's nothing I can can or want to do now, no change, carry on. Or do I actually take action, or is there a change in my view, or in my behavior, or in my attitude towards God, towards the world, towards myself? Yeah, what is there to learn from and to do with the story of Thomas? We will briefly reflect on that question this morning. And I would like to summarize the message of this part of God's word for you this morning as follows. The Lord reaches out to Thomases, plural, in doubt. And we know three things. Thomas and his doubt. The Lord and his care. We and our response. So the Lord reaches out to Thomases in doubt. And that is then in the first place Thomas and his doubt. So let's start looking at this Thomas. Thomas appears in the New Testament in the list of the apostles when they are called, but there is otherwise nothing said about him other than he had a second name, Didymus, the twin. And then he appears in three places, notably all in John's Gospel. First in the chapters 10, 11, and then in 14, the bit we read, and then here, chapter 20, the best known story. Now, the background to the first appearance of Thomas is 
that the Lord Jesus had claimed to be one with the Father, that he was the Son of God. You can read it in John 10, the verses 30 to 33. And it was a truly astonishing, and for the Jewish leaders and for many people today, a very offensive claim. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, then of course his words are to be heeded, his orders followed, and his claims also over our lives to be accepted. Now the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem didn't like that at all, and therefore they seek to kill him. But Jesus, whose time had not yet come, leaves Jerusalem and he goes across the Jordan, chapter 10, verse 39. But then sometime later, Lazarus falls ill. And Jesus, after a few days, decides to return to where Lazarus lived, Bethphagi, a village very close to Jerusalem, a couple of miles just across the top of the Mount of Olives. And the disciples warn him that that could be dangerous because of the Jewish leaders. Chapter 11, verse 8. But the Lord Jesus persists. And then Thomas says in chapter 11, verse 16, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let us also go, that we may die with him. And when you think about it, Thomas comes across here as a loyal man, a man not without courage, but also not one of a very optimistic disposition. He was inclined to take a dim, or maybe you would say a realistic, down-to-earth view of the situation. And his somewhat negative or fatalistic comment also indicates that he hadn't really understood who Jesus was. But then none of them had grasped Jesus' claim that he was the Son of God. And on the occasion of Lazarus raising from the dead, the Lord not only shows himself to be the master of life and death, he also very explicitly declares it in chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus talking to Mary, Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It is a question to Mary, and indirectly also to us. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Because again, it is a, it is a claim, an astonishing claim with major consequences. For if you do believe it, you will have eternal life. But if you don't, you won't. It's that simple. Belief and church are not about very complicated dogmas or rituals and things. It is about a very simple confession, like Mary's in verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then, 
in another similar lesson very shortly thereafter, Jesus repeats this message in chapter 14, which we read. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I will go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again. I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. And that is where we meet Thomas the second time. And like in the speech to Mary, the Lord explains again that he will go, i.e. he will die, and so prepare for his people a place in heaven, a life with God. And he had shown them the way to God. They had only to believe in him. And Jesus explains that he is the way to God. He reopened through his suffering and carrying our sins that way. But Thomas doesn't understand the metaphor. He thought about Jesus as an earthly Messiah, a ruler with a kingdom in the here and now. Again, he's not very perceptive and his thinking takes no great flights of fancy. And we hear Thomas again. Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And like in the answer to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. So here the Lord repeats it. I am the way and the truth and the life. And again, when you think about Thomas, he comes across as down to earth, a very practical man. What he had heard so far was a bit too airy-fairy for him. He was a man whose mind wasn't inclined, inclined to take a flight of fancy or let his imagination run wild with him. And again, his question indicates that he hadn't really understood who Jesus was. But very likely, the others didn't understand either. Philip, according to the next verses, certainly didn't. But Thomas is the one who asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And now, it has been Easter. The Lord has died, as he said, and he has risen, as he said. The disciples had seen Jesus' death, and they also had heard about his resurrection. Mary Magdalene had told them, but they found it hard to believe her, as we know from Mark 16, verse 11. Now, what did the resurrection mean? Well, it means that the Son of God had died for sinners and that he had conquered death and that he had reopened the way to God, that he offered salvation and eternal life in his Father's house. But how did the disciples see it at that point in time? Well, no Messiah. That is dead. Jesus had been a threat to the authorities, and now the authorities were threatening the disciples, so they were afraid. They were still thinking in the horizontal dimension, what matters is proof and what matters is power. What matters are the practicalities of the here and now, and what matters is what we see before us. That is how they looked at things. And that is how many people also today look at faith and Jesus. And then we read, the Lord appears 
He had a human body, but not like us. Shalom, he says, it, that it may be well with you. And then he shows them. He sighed. He had really been dead. And his hands, he had really been at the cross. And so he reminds them of two things. That he was dead and now is alive. He has risen as only the Son of God could. And yes, the Son of God was crucified. It is also a reminder of the way of his death. But Thomas wasn't there. And like the disciples hadn't believed Mary the Magdalene when she said, I have seen the Lord, so Thomas does not believe the ten other disciples when they say to him, we have seen the Lord. The down, Thomas, the down-to-earth, my thoughts take no flight of fancy, Thomas. I am not gullible, Thomas. He says, unless I see, I feel, or I put, and so on, I will most certainly not believe. Thomas wants proof. Not hearing, that's just stories. Not seeing, that can be illusory. He wants to touch tangible proof. Now we may recognize the picture in people around us and maybe sometimes in ourselves. It's not perfect, but it's close enough. Doubt about Jesus, his existence, his claims to be the Son of God, his importance, our Savior, they creep up. There are many Thomases, and we may at times also have a bit of Thomas in us. And in a way, he also asked the questions that the others were probably asking themselves. And in a way, he was asking these questions on our behalf. So we saw then Thomas and his doubt. There is then the second point. The Lord reaches out to Thomas's in doubt. We see the Lord and his care. What we saw that Thomas was confounded is called forward. The first time Thomas was absent, and much have been made, has been made of that. Maybe he was not loyal, he was going his own way, he was not with the fellowship, he dropped out of church. It's like missing a good sermon that would have spoken to you. Missed out on meeting Jesus. Many admonishing fingers waved at Thomas in the commentaries because of his absence. Well, it's true. Going to church is important. We know that from the letter to the Hebrews. And it is true that you are shortchanging yourselves by not going to church. It's like you have a ticket for a show and then you don't go. It's a silly waste. You are missing out. But that is not in this text. Jesus has a message for Thomas, but it's not that he should have been there. Because the first thing we note is that Jesus knew. He knew. He knew of Thomas, his doubts and his exact issues. People like you and me, we struggle so often with our doubts and our dark thoughts and our fears alone in silence, without talking to others who may have a vague inkling or may have no idea at all. But the Lord knows. 
all the points that Thomas had raised. I do not believe. I need to see his hands with the imprint of the nails. I need to put my fingers there. I need to put my hand in his side. All these points, one by one, the Lord addresses. Reach here with your finger. See my hands. Put your hand in my side and be not unbelieving. Now that the Lord knows may be threatening or comforting. Threatening may be because the idea that one who knows all our deepest thoughts or comforting because we are never alone. Here I think the emphasis is on the letter because we also see that the Lord cares. He not only knew, he also cares. He did not leave Thomas in his doubt, in his somber mood, in his despair about the dead Savior. You see, originally the disciples' hope was in the Messiah that would liberate Israel, but that Savior had died. And Thomas' worst fear had come through. Jesus had gone to the dangerous Jerusalem, about which going Thomas, in his lack of understanding, had had such a feeling of foreboding. And as he had warned, the jealous Jews had killed his leader. But Thomas was not left with these dark thoughts. And Jesus does not come to punish him. There is no threat of penalty, no hint of reproach about his absence, no complaint about the lack of understanding about Jesus' earlier words. The Lord cares and he came back a second time. And Thomas is called forward. He is addressed specifically and told in verse 27, and then he said to Thomas. And the Lord's message for Thomas is, Thomas, stop being apistos, unbelieving, without faith. It is a present imperative. Stop with your unbelief that is currently going on. But on the contrary, because the expression is strongly adversative, Thomas, on the contrary, become or be believing with faith. That was the Lord's objective. That is why he came back the second time, and that is why he addressed all Thomas's objections and concerns, so that Thomas will have faith. And after Thomas was confounded, and after he was called forward, that is now Thomas's confession. There is, in response to the Lord's care, the confession, the confirmation of Thomas's faith. And it is short, it is powerful, and it is complete. My Lord and my God. You see, when people hear the word confession of faith, they often think about lengthy documents with lots of complicated theology that people have argued over. And indeed, these documents exist. And when we grow in understanding and when we are confronted with misunderstandings, they're often very useful. So it is rather silly to ignore them and then every time reinvent the wheel or make the same mistakes. But they are not to be confused with faith. You don't have to know them by heart, useful though that may be, because faith is simple 
And so it is here with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Thomas recognized Jesus as God, tells Elohim, the maker and the creator of the world, the one who rules it from beginning till end. It's the first time, actually, that anybody directly addresses the Lord Jesus in the Gospels as God. And this witness now stands. And it doesn't matter whether you, I, Dawkins, or anybody else disbelieves it or believes it, that God is the sovereign of this world. Because the fact doesn't change. The only thing that changes with a confession, with our recognition of this fact, is our own future. And here Thomas recognizes that Jesus, this man that he had been wondering about with for three years, is indeed God, the one who is master of life and death. He hadn't understood it before when they went to Lazarus. Let us also go and die with him. And he hadn't understood it after he was raised from the dead. But now he did. And Thomas recognizes Jesus as Lord, Curios, Yahweh, the covenant Lord, the one who had reached out to Israel to offer them salvation if only they relied on him. The Lord that had reached out to the world to bring forgiveness of sin, to reestablish the relationship with God that had been disrupted in paradise, the one who through his death was the way to God. Now Thomas hadn't grasped it earlier. We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? But now he did know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the light of this world, the covenant Lord. And then in the third place he says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Thomas himself believed it, and he had faith. It was not just abstract knowledge. He had a personal relationship with Jesus. He knew that Jesus cared for him, had come for him, and was his Savior. Now, tradition has it that Thomas became the apostle outside the Roman Empire. The first church historian, Eusebius, 2250 AD, reports that he went to the kingdom of Edessa, which is the border area between Turkey, Syria, and Iraq today, where he converted the king and so his kingdom. And according to another old writing, the Acts of Thomas, dating from about 200, he went on from there through northern Mesopotamia and then down south, today Syria and Iraq, to sail to Kerala at the west coast of India, where he founded seven congregations. And indeed, there are still Christians there today who are called St. Thomas Christians. And according to the tradition, Thomas was martyred in Milapur at the east coast of India. Whether all this is true, we don't know. It could be. The Bible itself does not speak of Thomas anymore. His confession, my Lord and my God, is the last and final report about Thomas. And that was enough. 
For as we saw, it was the Lord Jesus who, in his care for Thomas, brought this confession about. But then we see, in addition, that the care of the Lord Jesus goes further than Thomas. And that brings us to our third and last point. Because the Lord reaches out to Thomas's in doubt, that is that we and our response. You see, the Lord's objective for Thomas was to have faith. And in his care for Thomas, he, the lost sheep that wasn't there, he returned to look for Thomas. And Thomas, who was confounded, was then called forward and now confessed. And you may say, well, that is nice, especially for Thomas. But where does it leave us? What are we supposed to do with this story? Well, you see, the story isn't over yet. It continues in verse 29 and in the verses 30 and 31. In the Bible, it's always worthwhile to look at the context. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The translation can either be a question or a statement, but the result is really the same. The Lord concludes that Thomas now believes. No longer is he unbelieving. If it is a reproach, it is a very gentle one. But the Lord does also note that Thomas believed after he saw, like, by the way, the other disciples. And the Lord knows that many others like you and me will not have the opportunity to see. And therefore, he already addressed that issue, thinking ahead of you and me. And he says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. There is no comparison, more or less blessed, just blessed are they. And Thomas is our witness. The man who doubted and needed to be convinced who did not without some hesitation and some reluctance accept that the Lord Jesus was alive and thus had proven himself to be his God and Savior. And his testimony is recorded for us to confirm the facts. And then in the verses 30 and 31, the Apostle John repeats for his whole gospel, of course, but also for the immediately preceding story, that it is recorded for a purpose. John made a selection of all the events out of Jesus' life. In fact, fewer than in the other Gospels, but with an express goal and aim in mind. But these things have been written so that, with the express and the explicit purpose that you may come to or continue to believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and so that, believing, you may have life in his name. Now, the inquisitive young gentleman, Prince Lo, were asking also last Sunday, the first time, why wasn't Thomas there? Well, what Thomas was thinking or doing, we don't know. 
But the story of Thomas is recorded, and in fact it is arranged, it is orchestrated, put in scene, as it were, so that we may benefit from it. That's why. Benefit from it in may begin to believe or continue to believe. There is some debate about the exact version of the verb here, but in a way it just serves to illustrate that it's both. The witness of Thomas is there so that you may be convinced and remain convinced in the frequent ups and downs of our trust and in the permanent renewal of our faith. And the story about the doubting Thomas is there to be a testimony and support to others who are at times are confounded and may find it difficult to believe. Through this testimony, the Lord Jesus calls each and all of you here present to come forward, to join Thomas in believing, to recognize the Lord Jesus as your God and Savior. And John confirms it. This is the point of his gospel, to call people and for them to come and have life, to call you and for you to come and to have Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus calls you forward to look at his side. He had truly been dead. And at his hands, he did not pass away quietly in his sleep. It was the cross. It was for our sins. And to look at him alive. He is the risen Savior. So briefly then and in closing, let us return to the three questions of the beginning. What, so what, now what? What? What happened? Well, there was this man, Thomas. Thomas was confounded by the death of his beloved master. And as a matter of fact, in the reality, he saw it, as he saw it before his eyes, it was all over. The master was dead, and that was the end of it. Stories about the resurrection. Thomas could not believe it. He lived our pistols without faith, like we at times may be living in doubt. But then he was called forward by the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus who had come back to care for him. And the down-to-earth, my thoughts take no flight of fancy, Thomas. He sees the facts, the evidence, the reality of the risen Jesus. The risen Jesus as he was before Thomas saw him, as he was when Thomas saw him, and as he still is today. And then Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God. And then so what? What does this mean for you and me today? Jesus was and is God, the sovereign ruler of this world with everything in it, including our own lives. That is how John starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Many people don't believe it for one reason or another. And John continues. 
The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But the fact that Jesus is God does not change, whether we believe it or not. That is what Thomas's witness means. And Jesus is our covenant Lord, our Savior, if we believe in him. John had already said it in chapter 1, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Lord came, and he makes you his offer of grace. He even lined up Thomas as a doubter to ask the awkward questions that maybe others didn't dare to ask. And the story, says John, was recorded so that you may believe. And the fact of this offer of grace does not change either, whether you believe it or not. The only, it only cha- that only changes your fate and future. As John continues to say in chapter 3, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is what Thomas's witness means. And then now what? What do we do? What do you do? This is written for you and me, so that we may believe. Do you walk away, out of here, and leave him, as it were, standing here, showing you his hands? Or do you continue to wait and waver and debate and doubt? Or are you coming forward to be not an unbeliever, one without faith, but a believer? As it says in the old hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down, now to be thine, yea, thine alone. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we have, our Father in heaven, we come before you as the Creator. And we praise you as we see your glory in the beauty of the unfolding nature of spring and also as we see your power in the pandemic befallen on this world. And we come also before you as our Savior, and we thank you as we reflect on the wonder of our salvation through the suffering and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you all the more as we consider how you reached out to Mary the Magdalene, to the Apostle Thomas, and thus making them witnesses to us, so that also we may believe and be saved. And Father, therefore we pray 
for all those who go through life lost without you, that they may hear your gospel and find peace in you. For all those who labor bringing your word, that you will give them perseverance. We also pray for those who are ill and unwell, that you may make your presence felt. We pray for all those who care for others in those pressure days, that you may give them strength. We pray for all those who feel anxious of livelihood, that you may give them work. We pray for those who are in doubt, that you may give them the comfort of certainty. We pray for all the members of our congregation, whatever the struggles and challenges are, that you may be close to them. And we pray for ourselves as a congregation looking to fill a vacancy, so that we may have a ministerial team again. And we pray for all those in authority, that you may give them wisdom and integrity to rule wisely. And Father, here we especially pray this day for Her Majesty the Queen as she faces the loss of her life companion of more than 70 years, that she may find comfort in her faith in you. We pray these things, not because we deserve them, but because of the Lord Jesus. Amen.